This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, if you are a Christian on the Internet, you probably know of the Babylon Bee. And if you don't know of it, you need to wake up. It's been called the Onion of Christendom, a satirical site that brings some very much needed comic relief to evangelicals in the midst of everything that ails us. Now the Babylon Bee is releasing its first, and might I note tongue-in-cheek, just so you know, book. It's called How to Be a Perfect Christian, Your Comprehensive Guide to Flawless Spiritual Living. I certainly need some help with that. So we're going to talk about it now with Kyle Mann, the head writer at the Babylon Bee and co-author of How to Be a Perfect Christian. And a perfect Christian you are, Kyle. Great to have you here. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, uh, thanks. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. You give us a lot of laughs around here, so thank you so much for your work. Uh, perfect Christians. How do we define a perfect Christian according to the Babylon Bee? I love this. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the book we talk about how being a perfect Christian is just conforming to whatever uh, cultural modern standards we have created in, within American Christianity and within evangelicalism, and that's how you become a perfect Christian. So you have to Join join a mega church that caters to your needs and doesn't make any demands of you, and uh, and just go along with whatever whatever the status quo is in mainstream evangelicalism. Yeah, you got to check all the boxes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, how do you advise the Christian seeking perfection to go about finding the right church? Take us through that. Yeah, you know, uh, I I think in the book we start out by just saying you got to use Google and search for a church that has a really nice coffee bar that will serve you uh, craft coffee as soon as you show up. Um, you want a church with no less than, you know, five or 10,000 members, and uh, you want one that's got a modern construction. You know, if they've got an old building or a cross on the outside, then it's probably too stuffy for you. Yeah, run away. And you got to have a name that sounds like a retirement community <laughs> or a natural disaster. I like yeah, that Yeah, you know, a firestorm church or hurricane church or uh, you know, you know, whispering pines community <laughs> church. Those are those are probably good options for you. Yeah. Now, what about the denominational name? Should that be dropped in order for maximum coolness? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't go to Baptist, Methodist, uh, Lutheran. That's, that's already out, so... Yeah, you got to go to a non-denominational paradise. Okay, non-denominational paradise. And you've got to have a really slick website, right? That's part oh. of it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you click on the website and they haven't updated since the church picnic of 2009, then <laughs> it's definitely not something that you want to be a part of. That's not going to work. Yeah. All right, what about the drive-by? You advocate doing a drive-by before committing. Oh, yeah, you got to drive-by, and that's when you kind of look and see, you know, they, you want a nice uh, stainless steel logo <laughs> with a modern design that they clearly paid ten or $20,000 for someone to design, and uh, you want to you make sure they have plenty of uh, free visitor parking up front, and, and that it looks like, you know, it should look like a shopping mall. Yeah, of course. What else would you want? Now, <laughs> the church sign, is there a make-or-break sort of church sign for whether or not you ought to stop and commit? <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, church signs are a little old school, but if you have to go to some uh, something with a church sign, you know, that has the old marquee, then you want to make sure that uh, that they have a really clever, really witty 
pun on there. You know, if their <laughs> pun game isn't on point, then then it's probably not a biblical church. It could be some kind of a cult. What about the balloon guy? You know, you see these in front of car dealerships. Should you have a balloon guy yeah, at the perfect church? You definitely church? need the uh, wacky inflatable tube man <laughs> uh, waving around like he's worshiping or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So now once you, you pick this perfect church and you decide to attend, you got to worry about how you're going to worship like a pro, as you say. Yeah. It starts in the parking lot. What should happen in the parking lot? Uh, yeah, in the parking lot, you need to make sure that all of your uh, all of your fights with your family stop <laughs> as soon as you get out of the car. So you're screaming at each other, and you know the parents are screaming at the kids. You have to stop that. Get out of the car, and then and then put on your your uh, spiritual faces, and then you're ready for church. So you walk in, and, and you know you you want to look for the uh, coffee bar. Pick yourself up a, a a coffee from the coffee bar. Buy the pastor's latest book, and uh, and that's how you get started. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about the welcome team? Because you, yeah. yeah, you're confronted by the welcome team. Now, how are you? What's great? You, you have a terrible day, but you always say. Yeah you, yeah. you always have to tell them that you are fine. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Now, what about if you don't feel like interacting with all those people on the welcome team? Can you make a quick beeline for the bathroom before, you know, to kind of avoid the confrontation there? That's the goal. But, you know, most of those welcome team guys are on point and and they will hunt you down oh yeah okay well now do you get do you lose points if you avoid the welcome team uh oh yeah totally okay all right so you got to do that you get the welcome team now when you go into the worship center i almost said sanctuary when you go into the worship center where's the best seat i mean if you sit in the back do you lose points you got to sit in the front where should you sit yeah um you know i don't remember exactly what i said in the book but i'm thinking I'm thinking about three quarters of the way back is ideal. That's what I'm feeling right now. Anyway, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you definitely got to just go with whatever the Lord is leading you to. Okay. But, you know, we're thinking about three quarters of the way back. You want to make sure you have the optimal temperature, not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> okay. Now, what about timing? Because isn't it cooler if you show up about 10 minutes into the set, the music yeah, set? Yeah, you can't look too eager to show up. So you have to wait until the, the first worship song is done. Um, and if you can miss the greeting time, that's also ideal. That's good. So no shaking hands then. No, sh- then you then you miss out on all that that cheesy uh, interaction and Christian fellowship. All right. Now, if you are caught unawares in a shake hands situation, how do you get out of it? Um, you know, uh, th- there's a few different methods that people like to use. Um, you know, on our website, we recently did an article where someone used a smoke bomb, <laughs> and so that seems that's a little awesome. extreme, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, smoke bomb, and then and then grappling hook out a window. Okay, and yeah, that's 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 a good way. Well, what about coughing? That's kind of an easy way. Yeah, you could cough into your hand, just look like you're sick. That works. <laughs> you can get out of it. All right. Yeah. So now, once everything begins with the music, now don't you have to have a certain length of music? How long should the music set go in order for this to be the perfect church? Um. You know, uh, the music set itself, you, you need like uh, six songs, but they should be the same songs every Sunday. Okay. And, uh, you know, everything by Hillsong yeah. and, uh, and, and Bethel uh, Worship. And, uh, you know, one of the, so- the uh, worship leader will definitely introduce his original song. And uh, he'll probably repeat, you know, he'll play Oceans for 15 minutes. And <laughs> so all of that's important, important but, element. But aren't, are you really supposed to sing, though? Um, you, you got to make them work for it. Okay. So you don't want to, you don't, again, you don't want to look too eager or too excited. Um, you you kind of got to be, have that hipster aloofness. Okay. So, this is good. That's important. Yeah. Cause if you sing along, first of all, how are you supposed to completely sing along if you don't know the new song that the guy just wrote? Right. And it's more of a performance than it is corporate worship. Okay. 
So you need to understand that before you, you, you go in there. Okay. Now, sizing up the pastor, you have some advice on, you know, he's the most important person in the room and you really need to pay attention to the pastor. Well, how do you know that you found the right pastor at this perfect church where you're going? Yeah, he's his outfit has to be, you know, four or five hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> T-shirts for five. Well, these days, that's true. Yeah, no, definitely four or five hundred at least. That's minimum. Um, you know, sometimes the pants alone are four or five hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, skinny jeans were in for a while, but um, our fashion experts at the Babylon Bee have have started to notice that uh, skinny jeans are on their way out. Oh, finally. Yeah. So, uh, so if they're still wearing skinny jeans. Again, it might not be might not be the best place for you because they're out, they're obviously not up to uh, not up to speed. Wait, wait, now what's replacing skinny jeans? Is it sweatpants or overalls or what? There's kind of this '90s look that's coming back, so kind of like straight uh, straight cut jeans that not quite so. They're still skinny jeans, I think, but they're not quite so that that super tight cut that we were seeing for yeah, a while. Yeah, not I'll have cu- to check with our fashion uh, consultant. Okay, I, that's I important that's- because you don't want to cut off your circulation, but if they're not skinny enough, you're not looking cool. Exactly, and you know, hundreds of pastors were were actually dying <laughs> from the skinny jeans, so it, it was a health hazard. Falling over. Yeah. What about the glasses? Are the glass like the, the the cool glasses? Are those oh, still oh, in? The, the glasses are in right now. The kind of the hipster look, the big old thick uh, rimmed glasses. Those are definitely in. They make they make the pastor look smart, like he's he's been studying the Bible all week. So yeah, yeah. facial hair is facial hair still in? You know, again, we are seeing we are seeing a trend away from facial hair. Um, we were th- beards were in for a while, uh, kind of in the late '90s, early 2000s. We had goatees, uh, beards kind of became popular, and uh, now now we're seeing a, a trend back kind of towards a uh, a shaven look. So okay. that's interesting. We we weren't expecting that, but that seems to be what it's going back towards. Well, you know, we we depend on you guys to keep yeah. on top of these important trends, so yeah. you can learn how to be a perfect Christian. We're kidding, of course. We're going to come back with Kyle Mann from the Babylon Bee, How to Be a Perfect Christian, a uh, great book. We're going to come back on Janet Mufford today, right after this. This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. That's the theme of our new campaign. And our shared goal is to send 1,200 Bibles, both to new believers and to those who've been praying many years for their own Bible in countries like China, India, and Nepal. Imagine strengthening the faith of a new believer in China like Washi, a 30-year-old wife and mother of two who overcame illiteracy two years ago and is yearning to read her very own Bible. Or Jirish, an 80-year-old man in India who followed Hinduism for decades, but is now a new Christian determined to follow Jesus Christ. You can join the Janet Mefford listening family in sending a Bible for only $5 or $20 for $100. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for joining us. We're having some fun with Kyle Mann. He is the head writer at the Babylon Bee, a great satirical Christian website. And I'm sure you've seen it. If not, you got to check it out. They are hilarious over there. And they're out with a new book, How to Be a Perfect Christian, Your Comprehensive Guide to Flawless Spiritual Living. We're talking about how to find the perfect church and the perfect pastor. And I like that you gave us some fashion tips there for pastors who aren't really, you know, they're still stuck in the, you know, five years ago. And they really need to get up to speed on the skinny jeans, tightness and all that. What about the content, though? Because you say, you know, you really want a pastor who's going to focus focus on popular movies and TV shows and not so much about sin, things like, you know, you don't want to talk about sin or hell, the cross, God's wrath, repentance. Th- those are sort of out, right? You have to talk about yeah. TV. Sh- yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we'd recommend, you know, showing up to the church. And again, you find that perfect seat that has a good um, escape, escape route right out, right out the door <laughs> if you need to make a beeline. So if you do hear the pastor start talking about sin or, or the cross or anything else that would make you feel uncomfortable, then you can, you can make a beeline right out of there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. So now you're in this church. You're It's working for you. Time to do life together. My favorite phrase on earth, doing life together. How, do, how does that flesh itself out, Kyle, would you say, for the perfect Christian to have a, a moment of doing life together with others? Yeah, doing life together is important. Um, that's, you know, where you, you found the perfect church that's catering to your needs and now you, you've kind of been coming a while, and people are looking at you funny because you haven't joined a small group. Um, and so that, that's when you have to you have to connect a little more closely to Christians. But it's re- you have to really be careful because uh, because if you get too close to people, then they can start figuring out that your life is actually a mess, <laughs> and so you don't want that. So we, we recommend superficial connections, but just enough to uh, just enough to get you by and make you look like you're. You're really plugged in and thriving. Ah, plugged in. Yeah, it's another one of my favorites. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, now, but to a super spiritual Christian, like those who will read this book, you say golf is a springboard to loudly let everyone around you know how much more you love Jesus than they do. Now, this is concerning to me, Kyle, because I'm not a golfer. What do I need to do? Well, you know, I, I mean, golf is just an example that we use in the book. Okay. Um, so, uh, frankly, anything that you enjoy, any hobby is is a springboard for... Uh, looking spiritual. Okay. You know, so if you are playing golf, you can, you can tell someone you you know you see the way that I I sunk this putt. You know, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. <laughs> and you just you just draw any random connection between your daily activities and the gospel, and then people will think that you 
are holier than you actually are. I got it. Well, now, what if you have somebody who is with you during your golf game and says, that's not at all what Jesus did. Jesus did not sink a putt to save you. It's not analogous. I mean, what do you say if you're the perfect Christian? You can't well, yell at them, right? Well, we'd recommend cutting them out of your life. Okay. You don't need negative influences. <laughs> okay. In your life like that. Of course not. I think that's good. Yeah. Now, when you're involved in your church, you say you got to be kind of careful about that because you really don't want to sacrifice anything, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As far as uh, as far as serving in the church, yeah, you you don't want to make any sacrifices. You, you really don't want to lift a finger. Um, and and if the pastor asks you to uh, if the pastor asks you to join a ministry, you just tell him, you know, well, I, I really need to be in prayer about that. And I, you, you just use the magic phrase, keep it in prayer. Good. And that means you know you, he'll he'll never ask you about it again because okay. you're keeping it in prayer. That's good. So, yeah. so Christianese can work in these moments. Oh, totally. Yeah, Christianese is a very important tool uh, for you to look spiritual and not actually have to do anything. Okay. So if you said to your pastor, I'm just waiting on the Lord and, and it, trusting him to guide me and I'm just, I'm praying through it. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then every time he asks you, you just you pull that phrase out again. Okay. How much time does that generally buy you, though? <sighs> you know, uh, our, our experts... At the Babylon Bee, uh, estimate that you can get by about three months okay. <laughs> with the waiting on the Lord phrase. Okay. All right. Well, you, you got to just, you know, handle this appropriately and just kind of take it as it comes, I guess. So you don't want to end up like serving in the nursery, you know, or, or you know, setting up chairs for the potluck, that kind of thing, because oh, that's for other people, right? That is very low level ministry. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's like service. And, and as Christians, we're not called to be servants, you know, we're called to be awesome. And, uh, and so you definitely don't want to get caught in one of those ministries where you don't get any praise. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you want highly visible ministries only. Yeah, because it's all about you, not about exactly. Jesus. Okay, i got to remember that. Then looking really spiritual online, this is always a tricky one because you do want to look super spiritual, even if your life is a mess, to be the perfect Christian. How, how should you go about creating an online profile that will do maximum good for making you look perfect? Yeah, you know, we recommend... Um, we recommend a cover image on your, your Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. You know, we, we recommend a cover image and profile picture that's uh, very spiritual. You know, maybe a picture of you standing on top of a mountain lifting your hands. Yes. Um, and then you can superimpose a Bible verse, or even better than a Bible verse, you can, you know, just say something uh, that sounds kind of spiritual. Yeah. And then quote yourself. Okay. <laughs> and put your own quote on there. <laughs> How about, I'm doing life together? Would that yes. work? It, well, perfect. Okay. Okay. But you don't want to overdo it, right? Because What about like a picture of a reformer or a picture of some great figure in church history? Will that up your quotient there for um, perfection? Yeah, you know, proceed with caution. Okay. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to use anybody who's too problematic, but... Uh, but definitely using a historical figure can make you look like you're highly studied and, and, and very smart. Okay. Now, if you do get pulled into a small group, like you said, which you, you advise the perfect Christian, you yes. might not want to really reveal too much about yourself because they might think that you're less than perfect. But when you are in a Bible study, for example, one of the things you point out is about the language that you use. And I think you're definitely right about this. You want to make sure you say the word just a lot. Yes. Father God a lot. Yes. I mean, this has been true for years. I guess this is still the way to go. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, and again, our, our, our experts are not, they're not predicting that trend to go away anytime soon. Okay. So we're, we're seeing when you pray, you definitely have to throw some justs, some Father Gods. Um, read a lot of the Puritans. Okay. And just kind of copy some of the, the large words that you, don't, you have no idea what they mean <laughs> and, throw, and sprinkle those liberally and throughout your, uh, 
So you could say like super lapsarianism, just throw that in there? Just throw it in. I mean, you don't okay. have to know what it means. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll help. All right. I like that. I like that. What about correcting other people while you're praying with them? Oh, yeah. Um, this is a good one. So in a lot of circles, you know, they, they'll do kind of the popcorn prayer time or the circle prayer time where anybody can kind of jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wait until someone prays for something. And now this is an advanced maneuver. So, um, but you wait till somebody prays like for healing or something. And so they'll say, you know, God, I just pray that you would heal me of this. And then you jump in after, and you correct their prayer. And you say, Lord, you know, um, I know that this person just prayed for healing, but even better, even better than that, you know, I would just pray that you would be glorified Uh, in this person's suffering. Right. And now you, I mean, you totally one-up them, and everybody's even forgotten about them, and and you're getting all the attention and the glory. Yeah, now what happens after the Bible study time when that person opens his eyes and gives you a dirty look? (laughs) Again, I mean, this principle always applies. You just cut them out of your life. Okay. So that seems to be a really helpful tool is when anybody gets in the way of your personal perfection, you just cut them out. Exactly. Okay. But but Kyle, couldn't this be a little awkward because you might keep bumping into this person at small group? Do you change churches at a certain point if it gets too awkward? Uh, Honestly, you don't want any kind of solid commitment to any church anyway. Uh, Okay. So, I mean, if you're hopping around to a different church every two weeks, that's fine. All right. Now, uh, yeah. Now, now, how do you know how you're doing? You've got this chart that you have in the book, the Holiness Progress Tracker 5000, which I think is a a really important tool for perfection. How do you move up on the Holiness Progress Tracker and how do you know where you are uh, if you're you're getting closer to perfection? Yeah. At the end of each chapter, we show whether you have progressed or whether you have uh, backslidden and uh, and where you are uh, on this chart that has all the uh, all these heroes of the faith and villains of the faith. Um, throughout the ages, so you can you can see if you are if you're still behind Judas on the holiness tracker, <laughs> or if you're approaching uh, if you're approaching Paul the Apostle. Okay, now is this something that you would recommend Christians track day to day, or are you unable to track yourself? Uh, no, yeah, you definitely you, you need to buy the book. Okay, and pre- preferably in bulk. Yes, and that helps that helps uh, track your. You know, you, you, need, you need the experts to do it, so you okay. can't really do that yourself. Yeah, no, if yeah. you buy in bulk and you buy, like, a, a bulk a load of, like, 10,000, would that yeah. get you higher than if you only bought 8,000 of them? Oh, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. How about witnessing? This is something you address in the book, Converting the Heathens. So you say totally own your opponents, and you argue them into the faith through the sheer brilliance of your intellect, and do things like leave Bible verses on your credit card receipt, because you certainly wouldn't want to leave a tip. That would not be the way a perfect Christian behaves. Yeah. I mean, any anytime you can interact with an outsider, and you can just show them your smug sense of superiority, <laughs> you know, whether it's smacking them over the head with a King James Bible, or, or just littering a, a restroom with some chick tracks. Okay. That's the way to go. <laughs> I love chick tracks. <laughs> all right, so we got all this. And of course, if you're just tuning in, we're being tongue-in-cheek here. This is the Babylon Bee, after all, and Kyle is uh, walking us through his book, How to Be a Perfect Christian. The bottom line point is serious, though, Kyle. You're really trying to make an important point here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we, we are trying to poke at all that stuff we're talking about uh, and hopefully strip away some of those layers that get, get stacked on top of the biblical gospel. Yeah. And we'd like people to be able to see the gospel more clearly after that. Yeah, that's so great. Is it fun to work at the Babylon Bee? <laughs> 
<laughs> it definitely is. I would imagine it would be yeah. fun. It's fun to read, and it's fun to, to watch your tweets and things like that. You give people a, a big laugh every single day. And, you know, and I, I really appreciate the point you're making, and sometimes I think satire is the very best way to make a particular point when you can make people laugh, and it kind of puts people's guards down. The point is, we're to be about the Bible and about the gospel, not about all of these you know, extraneous things that have nothing to do with the Bible. That's really the bottom line. Exactly. Yep, I love it. Well, the name of the book, it's How to Be a Perfect Christian, Your Comprehensive Guide to Flawless Spiritual Living, put out by the Babylon Bee and head writer Kyle Mann, who's been kind enough to have a little fun with us here on Janet Bufford today. Kyle, keep up the good work. It was a lot of fun to have you here. (laughs) Thanks a lot. All right, you take care. All right, we'll be back on Janet Bufford today. Stay with us. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. Great to have you here. Have you ever opened your Bible and felt a little bit lost on where to begin reading? Or maybe you've opened scripture and you're determined to read a certain book of the Bible only to get a little confused by what you're reading when you find out you don't really understand what you're reading. Well, if you have had those experiences, you are far from alone. But how do you get the most out of reading the Word of God and truly enjoy doing so? Well, that is the subject of the book we're going to be talking about today with my guest, Keith Farrant. Keith is founder of That You May Know Ministries, and he has written a new book that we're going to be excited to talk about. It's called How to Enjoy Reading Your Bible. And it's great to have you here, Keith. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Janet. Well, thank you. You know, a lot of people might hear the title of your book and say, hey, wait a minute, how could a Christian not enjoy reading the Bible? So you have kind of a conundrum right there in your title. How do you explain to people why there needs to be discussion about enjoying the reading of your Bible? Well, I find that for myself, quite honestly, the first 20 years I was a Christian, and for most of the people that I talk to as I travel and speak, I find that for most people, if they're really honest, it might be an uncomfortable conversation, but if they're really honest, I find that most people, the internal conversation they have in their head about the Bible is marked much more by the word should than want. Wow. That they feel like, they, I should read the Bible more. I should probably know it better after being around the church this long. I probably should have a more consistent, quiet time. And it really feels like we should do it more and uh, rather than we want to. And I found that that was the deal for me for the first 20 years. And then when that started shifting, when that should started changing to want, then I found that some of those things like understanding it and being consistent, all, you know, th- those were those problems, most of them went away because I now wanted to. That's interesting. So for 20 years, there was not necessarily the same attitude that you have now. What what came between then and now? What was it that you think, looking back, was the reason that you didn't enjoy reading your Bible, and what made you enjoy it? 
Well, I, I think that a lot of, you know, to answer that first question, what, what made me um, not enjoy it as much, I think a lot of it was really the, the approach that, that I was taking to it. I mean, I really felt like every day I was going and was supposed to kind of learn something about God. I was supposed to figure out something to apply. I was trying, I was supposed to take what I was reading and make sure that, that I quote unquote, got something out of it. And I really feel like that led to a much more informational approach to scripture than a relational one. I, I found that I wasn't my primary motivation for, for going to the Word the first 20 years was not to hang out with God, but to learn about Him and fig, kind of figure out what He wanted me to know so I could do what He wanted me to do, which isn't in and of itself a bad idea. Right. <laughs> I definitely want to know what God wants me to do, and I want to do what He wants me to do. But the primary purpose of the Bible is not information. I believe the primary purpose of the Bible is relationship. And within the context of that relationship we learn information. And so that, I think, a, a very informational approach was what I found for me kind of held me back, and what I find for most people is they've never really thought intentionally about how do I approach the Bible primarily with a relational mindset, not an informational one. Right, because if you're merely looking at the Bible and reading the Bible for information, it can become almost a textbook or something you are emotionally disconnected from rather than the Lord gave me this book. The Lord loves me. The Lord who saves me is revealing himself to me. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember very early on, I mean, somewhere in elementary school, somebody, and I'm sure some of your listeners have heard the, the, the acronym we frequently tell children from age six is, you know, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Yes. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard that. A million but times. It's like, is it, is it really, is that really the purpose of us to give us basic instructions? Yes. I, don't, I don't think it's primarily instructional. I think it's primarily relational. And within the context of that relationship, absolutely there are instructions and there are things to follow and things to avoid and all of that. Um, just For like sure. knowing a friend intimately, that person is going to correct you sometimes and that person is going to play with you sometimes and that person is going to that's going to be in a relationship that you hopefully will learn a lot from and enjoy at the same time. Right. Now, you offer a number of tips in the book on how to enjoy reading your Bible. And one of your early tips is set your expectations really high. So when somebody goes to open up the Bible and study it, read it, absorb it, what do you mean when you say to set your expectations high? Well, I I think that for me, I... Well, again, those first 20 years, I feel like my, my expectation of the Bible was that it would be true. I didn't expect to enjoy it. I didn't expect it to be funny. I didn't expect to really meet God there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect to not meet him, but I, I think the bottom line is I really didn't expect much. Hmm. I mean, I expected to learn something right. or find a little nugget that would be helpful, uh, but I didn't expect to enter the throne room. I didn't yeah. expect to hang out with a real, living, amazing, uh, fun God. And so, you know, that you, I, don't, I don't believe that holy and fun are mutually exclusive. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he's pretty amazing. And, and so I, that expectation of do we, do we expect it to be true or do we expect it to be true and good, true and fun, true and awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, that when, and so I think that we oftentimes expect too little of God instead of too much. That's true. Uh, that is true. When it comes to 
comes to him and his word. Well, and there there is never a time I can say in my life where I've opened the Bible and everything that I read in front of me was something I'd seen before with great clarity or applied <laughs> to my own life with full abandon. I mean, there's always something that will challenge you about the word of God. It's all, and, and that's the aspect of the word of God being living. It's always speaking to you in a fresh way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So now when you go to the Bible, you want to study it, you talk about having a strategy. And for many people, that can be really a challenge, especially lay people who aren't seminary trained or haven't really had a lot of instruction on how to approach the Bible. What sort of strategy would you suggest people employ as they go to study the Word of God with the expectation of enjoying it? Right. Well, that that, that tip on, on having a strategy is there's both a strategy when it comes to our our mindset and a strategy when it comes to kind of practical application. And so a a majority of the remainder of tips that come after that one have to do with the practical application and the implementation of a practical strategy. That, That chapter specifically focuses more on the strategy of that relational mindset. So it's a mindset piece of the strategy. And then also something that really hit me, uh, uh, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, I had already known how wonderful the Bible could be. I had already really started engaging with it very differently, but I was still really struggling with my mind wandering when I'd read the Bible. Oh, yes. And it it was so hard, and I find that very few people that I meet do not struggle with that. And... And in the context of a, a, a day in which I couldn't get more than a paragraph without my mind going somewhere, and I was just kind of venting to God about why is this happening, and I love you, and I know your word is amazing, why can't I focus? And this, this analogy popped into my head, and uh, the, the short version of it is basically I was running back on a football team in this kind of vision, and, and my number had been called. I was on the 20-yard line, had 80 yards to go, and started you know, heading down and knew everything I was supposed to do, knew the play, knew where I was, the blockers and all that kind of stuff, and started going down the field. And after 15, 20 yards, I got leveled. And I was laying there thinking, well, why am I not in the end zone? I pictured the end zone, and I knew the play, and I want to be in the end zone. And, and a buddy came to help me up, and he said, well, hey, man, there's somebody playing defense. <laughs> And it dawned on me at that moment. I, I never had thought, because my quiet time is typically in the morning before my wife and kids are up and I've got coffee and I'm on my couch and it's peaceful, I, don't, I hadn't really ever given serious thought to the fact that every time I crack open the word, there's an attack going on. That's right. There's somebody playing defense. There's somebody who's trying to actively make sure I don't succeed. True. <laughs> True. And don't connect with the living God. And I think that, that when that dawned on me, and I, could, I, I went, oh, wait a minute, there's got to be a strategy for for beating the defense. And part of that is a mindset that recognizes that the defense is even there and that battles that with, with prayer, both before, you know, that, that, that chapter happens, you know, unpacks a bit of what I pray before I ever start and what I pray when that mind, when my mind starts wandering, because it still happens. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, to use the running back analogy, it's not like I figured out a way to never, ever get tackled. <laughs> Hang on, Keith Farron, we'll be back after this. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. 
my four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved Involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855 855- 402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for joining us. Keith Farron is my guest. He is founder of That You May Know Ministries and the author of the book that we are discussing. It is called How to Enjoy Reading Your Bible. And before we went to the break, we were talking about one of Keith's tips, which is to have a strategy when you approach the Word of God. That is to pray. Pray before you even open your Bible. Prayer is the number one strategy for beating the defense, as Keith has mentioned. And this is an interesting point, Keith, a very important point. In fact, when we look at Ephesians chapter six and the discussion about putting on the whole armor of God, we understand that the devil is a roaring lion seeking to devour us and can often discourage us and keep us not only from enjoying our Bibles, but from reading our Bibles in the first place. So when we talk about prayer and the need for prayer, Is it a matter of going before God before you even open your Bible and spending time in prayer and asking the Lord to please open our minds and protect us from the enemy as we do so? Absolutely. And and part of that prayer even goes back to the the topic we started out with, which was this idea of a relational mindset. The part of it is just being in the presence of God and setting my thoughts on Him and just talking with him and listening to him, and some of it is silence. I think certainly we could do a whole show on, on silence, because I think we don't do that well as a culture. Right. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, but so it's, some of that is definitely asking that he would you know, kind of protect my mind, that he would guide my mind, and that, that even not only would I get what he wants me to get out of it, but that I would be okay if what he wants me to get out of it is just to enjoy the read. Mm, I think that 
there are days when God wants us to read his word and not learn anything. Yeah. I think that so often we approach the Bible only when it's time, when we think we need to learn something. And sometimes I think he just wants us to be in awe of him or be just, just enjoy how fantastic the story is. Sure. Because of course, if, right. There are days. Right. There are days yeah. when you learn. But for instance, I was thinking when you said that, if you go to a Psalm, you go to Psalm 23, you may or may not have a particular insight into that familiar passage, but surely reading it is always beneficial because you are reflecting upon what you do already know about God. Uh, absolutely. That's terrific. Absolutely. That's terrific. Now, when you say to watch the whole movie, this is another tip that you mentioned in the book. How does that apply to Bible reading? The, the essence of that analogy comes from the way that our brains naturally take in information in a way that we remain that we retain and enjoy while we're learning it and that is i you know my wife and i love movies and the, for me the more twisty turny the you know the movie the better i love not knowing how it's going to end that kind of thing yeah. but and i don't mind talking about a scene of a movie but i want to talk about that scene after i've seen the movie i don't want to pause the movie after scene one and discuss it Good. <laughs> and then pause it after scene two and discuss it. <laughs> and yet I feel like that is the way that we frequently approach the Bible. I kind of, so we, we, we read the Bible like we're studying the scenes of a movie we've never watched. Mm. And so typically when we tell, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian or our kids are getting of the age where they're going to start reading the Bible on their own, we should typically say, you know, grab a gospel and read a chapter a day or, you know, read a little bit, read these two paragraphs and think about what it means and all that. And I think we're kind of, we're setting ourselves up to, to take the Bible in very differently than we take in anything else. You know, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's cooking, you know, cooking is one of those things that I say, I, I love to cook, but I wouldn't, if somebody wanted to start cooking, I wouldn't go through every use for basil. No. <laughs> I, would, I would start with some general principles of cooking. If somebody wanted to learn the sport of soccer, I wouldn't start with different defensive strategies. Yeah. I would, you know, formations. I would start with 11 people here, 11 people there, no hands. You know? Good. And, uh, <laughs> and then we work into the detail. And so I think we've kind of developed a culture in, in the way we talk about the Bible and teach it that, you know, we'll look at, here's what this verse means, or here's what this parable means. But when we might know, hey, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, we might say, oh, here's what this means, and here's how this applies, and how this can be encouraging. But a lot of people don't even know that that's from Second Timothy, mm -hmm. let alone what was going on with Paul and Timothy at the time. Yes. And so we haven't watched the movie. Uh, we've tried to study the scene, and which puts us, again, in an informational mindset rather than a relational one. That is a really, really good insight. I agree completely. You have to really soak it in and... Uh, and keep in mind the bigger context. Now, I know we're not going to be able to get to every tip here, Keith. This is why people need to uh, get a hold of your book. But one of the other things you have, you have sort of this dichotomy. On the one hand, you advise people to read alone. And on the other hand, you advise people to not read alone. So <laughs> how does that work out in, in a practical way? Okay. Well, the, the read alone piece has to do, especially with that, that initial... And we're jumping into a new section of scripture. Let's say that you that that you were going to tackle the book of Ephesians, and say, hey, for the next two or three months, I'm going to just soak in the book of Ephesians. For that first month or so, what I would really encourage people with the with the read alone piece is to not use their big study Bible at the beginning, to just find a, a you know, or you know, unless you're really really disciplined and and are 
very different from me in that whenever I'm using my study Bible and I see a bold letter A, I feel a moral <laughs> obligation to go down to the bottom of the page Absolutely. and read the note and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And, I, and I feel like that, that puts us in a place where we're, we're reading the commentary that's on the page and giving it equal weight in our mind to, to the Scripture itself. Exactly. Because we're reading them all at the same time, we're taking it in, and it's just hard. That's just not the way the brain works to differentiate like that. Right. And, um, and it also kind of reinforces this idea that I have to have somebody explain the Bible to me because I can't get it on my own, mm. which I think is just, uh, I believe, one of the enemies of lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I actually bought a little simple Bible that has nearly no notes in it, and when I'm first approaching a book of the Bible, for the first you know, three or four weeks, I will only read in that. And just really just make sure that, that my time in the Word starts out very conversational with God. The flip side of that, the don't read alone, is I highly encourage people to find somebody to meet with at a Starbucks or have over at their house or whatever, that, that once a week or every other week, you get together and you just discuss what you're reading. Anything that we are taking in, whether it's the Bible or whether it's a hobby that we have or whatever, is just more enjoyable. Because again, that's the topic of the book, is how do we enjoy reading the Bible? It's more enjoyable when we do it in community, mm. when we have people that we're discussing it with. And so that's where the don't read alone piece comes in, is how do we... You know, how do we have people that that are seeing things we don't see and encouraging us when we're struggling with our own consistency and when we're being the encouragement to them when they're struggling and because we all go through those those seasons. But the consistency and the enjoyment will both increase if we are reading the Bible in community. Oh, excellent. I, 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 I so resonate with what you had to say about study Bibles. I love study Bibles. I own a bunch of them, and they can be very, very helpful. But you're right. When, you are, when you are really just trying to study the text of the Word of God, they can be distracting. And the danger there is, what if your commentator is wrong? <laughs> That's what I always worry about, right. too. He may be right. very well-meaning, but what if he got the interpretation of that particular passage wrong? Then you're absolutely. in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's good. So when you kind of talk about challenging people, you mentioned going on what you call a 60-day adventure, and you talk about some four-month challenges. How do you advise people to really put reading the Bible and studying the Bible and consequently enjoying the Bible uh, into personal practice in, in a way that will really you know, kind of spur on their enjoyment of the Bible? Yeah, the... the the 60-day 60 60 adventure is really what, what do you want to do or how do you go approach this methodology, this approach of a small book of the Bible that you want to really soak in for a couple months. So a book like Philippians or Second Timothy or Ephesians, something that can easily be read in one sitting in 15 to 20 minutes that you really want to get to the point where at the end of those couple months, you know it really well. And so that's the 60-day adventure, and I outline kind of what I do each of the days in there. I have it outlined in that book for Philippians and Second Timothy. The two four-month adventures, one is really how I approach a what I call a four-month Bible read-through. Now, that may sound like a lot, but to read the Bible, the entire Bible, in four months is only about, you know, for the average person reading out loud at a normal rate of speed, it's only about a 35 to 45-minute commitment a day. So is that more than you're doing now? Maybe, but is that insurmountable? For most people, it's not. And so I outline some different things, some, some different ideas that I have for that, as well as um, my favorite way to do that, which is doing a chronological read-through, which we don't have time to unpack, but just kind of 
all of Scripture is not written in exactly the chronological order yes. that the events take place. And so it's just helpful yes. to have that, that there. Um, and then one is also a suggestion for new believers, kind of what I, what I call the New Disciple Challenge, which is four months that really cements people in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, which is the life of Christ from four different perspectives and uh, kind of the history of the early church. Well, wonderful, wonderful advice. I I think this is just such a helpful book, How to Enjoy Reading Your Bible. Keith Farron has been our guest. You can find him at keithfarron.com. And Keith, thank you so much for being with us today. It was wonderful to have you. My pleasure, Janet. Thank you. All right. You take care. Thanks so much for listening to Janet Mefford today. Our website is janetmefford.com. God bless. This hour of Janet Mefford Today was brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Thank you so much.